Good morning. It's Friday morning. It's 11 o'clock and that means it's the Indie Live daytime show. I'm Marlene Halliday and this week Val Gold and I have interviewed two guests for the show. The first guest is Gordon McIntyre Kemp of Believe in Scotland. I contacted Gordon a couple of days back and said, could you come on the show and tell us about the new billboard campaign that Believe in Scotland have set up and is now in operation all over Scotland. If you're in Glasgow and you're driving along the Clydeside Expressway, you'll see some of those billboards. And when we talked to Gordon, he told us what's on them, what the thinking is and what the strategy is going to be over the next few months. Our second guest is Lorna Slater, the co-leader of Scottish Green Party. So we start off asking Lorna why people should vote Green. She's got a very eloquent answer to that. And then we go into other topics of interest, like the voting system for Holyrood, the list vote, and Scottish Green's vision for creating a sustainably based Scotland. Two really interesting interviews, and Val and I hope you enjoy them. Our next guest is Gordon McIntyre Kemp, who is the founder and the CEO of Business for Scotland and now Believe in Scotland. And Marlene started off by asking Gordon to tell us about their new billboard campaign. So do you want to tell us just a bit about the background to it and how it's going? I don't know if you've had any feedback so far. Possibly you have. Well, yeah. uh, Basically, uh, it's still rolling out. We we had... um... 56 billboards go live on Monday uh, this week and yesterday uh, those were the 48 sheets quite, they're quite large billboards but they're really big electronic billboards and they're all electronic in the first phase and they're really large electronic billboards like the one on the SEC uh, on the expressway in Glasgow yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a mega board uh, that went live yesterday mm-hmm. uh, so we're rotating two adverts on all of these electronic boards right across Scotland uh, so in total, I think it's now, I think it's now 68 boards uh, rotating two adverts each, uh, or, or rather uh, two adverts rotating gives us 68 uh, boards in total. Uh, but we're also looking to uh, get local billboards in rural towns who don't have the big electronic uh, mm-hmm. ones that the supplier we've done the deal with. Uh, and so we're working with local yes groups to try and get them to locate uh, billboards that might be not even official billboard companies that might be local companies renting them out those sort of things so basically over the next few weeks we're going to see more designs another seven or eight designs uh, which will go out across that uh, network right across Scotland ones that are particular to certain regions so those fishing ones going in Peterhead and Fraserburgh and Brexit ones in Edinburgh etc and one about powers in Edinburgh as well so Bit powers for the Parliament. So basically, there are targeted messages, but for the first week, we're just sending out these two messages. Which the first one says, "The UK pays the worst uh, mm. pension in the developed world," which is calculated on a percentage of final earnings at pension uh, age. Then it suggests that we could double it in an independent Scotland, and that would uh, mean just reaching the European average, not yeah. even having a good yeah. pension, but just reaching the European average. And there's a link on all of the the billboards. And those billboards links take you to a page that explain that we're not saying we're going to double it overnight. We're just going to increase it in stages to get to a decent pension after we've lifted the straight jack- economic straitjacket of the UK's incompetence off Scotland's economy. We will be able to afford more, but an instant rise, but 
incremental rises yeah. to, to a decent pension. And that's important, I think, to say to people of pensionable age, because if you look at the, the groups that actually support independence, uh, there are significant majorities all the way up to retirement age. Aye. And it really is just the case of most retired people don't have access to the social media feeds, to the news uh, that we share within the you know, yes, community, etc. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you, you guys, you guys are getting out there to a lot of people as well, but but they don't, they don't know the facts, and therefore, and and as they're older folks, they also tend to be more conservative with a small C. They trust institutions, so when they're told, "Oh, Scotland can't afford to be independent," or "Scotland can't afford a pension," etc., they're more likely to believe it if they see it in the newspaper. Whereas younger generations see it in the newspaper, they're going to go, "Oh, that's not true then." Uh, so. So we're putting yeah. the, the fact out there that it's the worst pension in the developed world and it's half of the EU's average. But because we're making a statement that you can raise it, a whole load of no voters, sort of like trolls, are jumping on, sharing the image and then criticising that we can't afford to do it. Of course, what they're also doing is like thousands and thousands of shares by no voters saying that, Scott, that the UK pays the lowest pension in the entire world. So you know, we, we worded it deliberately for that to happen. I just so admire hearing that, uh, Gordon. That's just really good thinking. So, because it is a problem, isn't it, to kind of get these images onto uh, places where no supporters still kind of congregate, doesn't it? And, and it sounds like not only they're seeing the image, which will have a big impact, but it sounds like they'll also see a link that they could follow up if they were, yeah. yeah. Very good, great, if fantastic. They, that, they, yeah. they, can follow, they can follow that link, uh, and the page that it leads to has been shared over a thousand times, which I haven't checked the data, but that usually means it's been read five thousand times in the first week. Okay. Okay. So, you know, people are going to the page, people are talking about it off the page. The amount of people who have actually seen it so far on Facebook, because it's an integrated campaign. So the idea is, we know that people aren't getting out of the houses except to go to the shops. So we've actually put billboards next to shop, shopping centres and Sainsbury's and Asda's and Tesco's and Lidl's, etc. Uh, so we know that old folks are going to the shops still, uh, and so it's particularly you know, uh, aimed at them. Uh, and the other thing is that other people will see it, yes. uh, and they'll drive past those billboards, and then they'll go home, and they'll log on to Facebook, and then they'll see the same image on Facebook, because we've targeted geographically where the billboards are. So if you live within 25 miles of a billboard, you, log, you get home having seen the billboard and maybe not taking in the, the domain name. When you get home, the first thing you see when you log on to Facebook or Twitter is going to be, or Facebook mainly, is going to be the same image. You'll now pay attention and you've now got a ability to press on it and go straight to the page that will explain everything. It's so clever. Yeah. It's so smart. It's exactly what we need to... Music to our ears, Gordon. <laughs> I, I was just going to ask, Gordon, so if I go onto Facebook... You know, I see loads of stuff about Scottish independence because I'm, you know, I'm looking at it a lot on Facebook, feeds me more. So are you saying that someone who doesn't do that, who is, uh, you know, not a Yes supporter, they'll still get likely to see an ad or something fed to them because of how you set this up geographically? Geographically and age and interest. So basically, if you're if you're if you're 18, you're not going to see our adverts because we don't need to advertise pensions to you. Uh, but if you're over 55 and you live within a geographical area of uh, one of our billboards, then you will see our advert. Those are targeted adverts. So we're also targeting postcodes with high numbers of retired people. We're also looking at 
creating audiences is something you can do on Facebook where you actually define the audience and their interests, etc. So essentially, we're not targeting yesers either. We're targeting undecided and, and no voters and yeah. the sort of things they say. I can't. I, I won't go into the details of, yeah. of how we're targeting them. Uh, so that's that's the one. That's the pensions one. And the other one, which is going right now, which will only be up for a week, is one that basically is about Scotland's right to choose. We all know that, that there's a likelihood of a yes majority in uh, Holyrood after May. So basically, uh, we all know that the, the, the line from the UK government, simply because they can't think of anything better, they know it's terrible, they know it's disastrous, but they can't think of anything better. So they're just keeping on saying no and stalling until they can actually figure something out. But what we're saying is that Scotland has a right to choose. And so we've, we've put a picture up of Trump saying stop the count and Boris saying no to a referendum and just asking the question, do you think they're cut from the same cloth? And people say it's negative, and, yeah. and it is. But denying democracy is even more negative. And so we're planting these seeds. And even if people don't believe that, that we can afford to raise the pension at all, uh, if we win the economic argument, then people will remember. We've planted that seed to remember that is one of our intentions. And yeah. that will help an awful lot. So basically, that's the first stage of the campaign. The second stage of the campaign is to put a, a new set of uh, much more positive uh, billboards up. I can't say what they are. But also these billboards, there's about there's, there's 12 in total billboards, which are also are going to be downloadable as window posters. So anybody who wants in their windows or their shop windows or create canvases out of them or even put them into leaflets, you can download them from our site. Not yet, but they, before the end of the month, you'll be able to download them from our site. And so yes, groups and individuals can get hold of these graphics and use them to their, to their heart's content. So it's, it's the first full-blown integrated social media and billboard campaign that anyone in the Yes movement's launched since 2014. Yeah. And in fact, I think it's bigger than anything that was done. I think I, I don't think the billboard campaign that Yes Scotland did, for instance, won as a single vote. In fact, I think it lost its votes, to be quite honest. And I, enough time's gone by, I can say that sort of thing now. And so, you know, this campaign is, uh, as I say, just getting started. And uh, it's going to be much bigger than it currently is. And I don't think people really comprehend just how much we are actually doing in terms of actually com campaigning. Others are complaining, we're campaigning. And that's how, that's how we roll. Very positive, really positive um, action. And uh, partly funded by the, that incredibly successful Burn Supper last month. <laughs> you raised over £6,600, is that correct? Yeah, uh, that wasn't the full profit, but that was the, 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 the turnover of it. Yeah, we, we decided to do a burnt supper uh, online. Just just to begin with, we thought maybe we'd get 100 people on, and we ended up with 550 people. And, you know, lots of people volunteered. We had Brian Cox and Leslie yeah. Widdock, Eunice Alamaidi, uh, and uh, Alistair Heather reading a poem. And, and that poem's had 20,000 views on Facebook alone. Uh, or thereabouts, and so yeah, it was it was a great evening. It was great fun. Not so much for me because it's quite difficult, as you guys know, to host <laughs> and have yeah. fun whilst you're hosting. We took the profit from that and the thousand pounds award we got for being chosen as the uh, in the uh, campaign of the year 2020. We stuck it in a pot and then got uh, some more money from business donors to uh, to pay for it. And this is the beauty of it that. Business for Scotland is the organisation. It's a limited company. We also have consulting revenues. We have consultants working on projects all over the world. And 
we make profits and we then pay the bills for Believe in Scotland. So any money that we raise for Believe in Scotland goes straight on leaflets, billboards, oh. Facebook adverts. You know, it's a campaign where all the costs, salaries and offices are taken care of. And so Business for Scotland is the, the organisation. Believe in Scotland is the campaign and the campaign is there to support local yes groups. So we will be fundraising though. We will be doing a crowdfunder to, to do not just this, but all the other things we're planning on doing this year. And we'll be doing that quite soon. Uh, but like I say, every penny raised goes to campaigning, not to paying wages, etc. And you know, you could you could add up all the crowdfunders that the independence movement has done over the last year, and you find out that eighty percent of it has gone on suing people or defending against libel suits. Uh, we just think, how about we spend all the money on on converting people to yes? It's kind of like our our approach. It's kind of different. I don't know. Let's try that. Let's see. Yeah, um, I mean, it's very fortunate you're in the position that you can channel in money from um, from other sources to do that because I agree it does make a big difference to people when they know that, that it's 100% actually going to the leaflets that, that they want it's dead impressive Gordon I mean so it's it, it's great sort of using a platform like Facebook you know when it gives you the opportunity to do targeted offices, uh, uh, targeted shots like that I mean I'm sure <laughs> it's not the only platform that you can do it but it's great to get that kind of technology on our on our side. So you so the plans are to to keep it going, keep it uh, and expand it, or up up till the Holyrood elections, or um, not. I think we're probably not. There'll be political advertising because we're not party political, and there'll be party yeah. political advertising uh, sort of swamping everything in in uh, late April, May. So we'll keep it going until uh, all through March until mid April. Uh, but there'll be, as I say, another uh, batch of images, another batch of messages going out there, uh, probably another two batches. Uh, so in total, I think we've got seven approved that we're going to put on, seven, seven billboard designs that we'll put on between now and when we finish. And then we'll probably be back on uh, after May. It all depends. You know, there is the possibility that knowing full well it would be suicide, political suicide, that the Westminster government might agree to a to a referendum but try and kick it down the road a little bit to give themselves a better chance uh, but if they continue to say no then we're going to put messages out there not just not just through this but hopefully we'll be able to start doorstop delivering as well uh, in partnership with local uh, less, yes groups uh, and so basically uh, if they continue to say no then we'll use that anti-democratic stance to drive the yes vote even higher you know so so there's lots more to come as well we're, we're working on another big uh, we did the, the yes group organizers conference we had almost 200 yeah. yes group organizers at that conference yeah that was that very year. good yeah and, and that kind of like set the strategy so it's not it's not me sitting here figuring out what we're going to do you know the, the yes group organizers all brainstormed in our, in our groups and came up with the strategy and told us what to do and so we're delivering that and then you know one of the things we're also going to do is have another big conference but not just for yes group organizers but for everybody and also have a section of that conference for undecideds who mm. we could hopefully target we've got okay. 5,500 people signed up to the yes challenge to try and identify our um, undecided voters so we're going to have events for them as well um, we've got thousands of people taking that, that looking at the open minds content in the national uh, in partnership with them we're going to be doing another big survey. We're going to be doing some uh, local uh, focus groups with older folks to see how our messages are working, get feedback on that. 
Um, and we've got uh, our online banner and poster library going live in the next month or so. Uh, and we've also added Richard Walker, the former editor of the Sunday Herald, who came out for Yes, uh, and then launched the National and the Sunday National. He now works for us. He's our head of content. And we've also added uh, Andrew McLeod to, as our social media executive, so we're really boosting that as well. So the team's getting larger. Uh, basically, we're putting the team together for the next referendum right now. You've really done a massive amount in, in a very short time since the start of the year. Uh, I was reading your Facebook post and it said, <laughs> apologise for the slow start. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the Yes Challenge because that's just what we're going to ask you about next. Obviously, you've been working quite closely with the National. I've signed up to the Yes Challenge. Would you like to just tell folk a little bit more about about that, how that works? Well, yeah. I, I mean, the, the National is a newspaper and it has to report the news about the independence campaign and politics, etc. So it reports good and bad. And some people sort of go, well, when it does report things they don't want to read, they go, oh, they're not really true nationalists, etc. But you know, let me tell you now, the, the, the team who run the National, not the team who run the Herald, which is the sister newspaper, but the team that run the National are real yesers. They're on our side. They see themselves as the newspaper of the Yes campaign, and they're very proud of that. So we're happy to work with them. Uh, and what we're doing is... Uh, putting together a series of 24 articles over 12 weeks. And those articles are written not for the yes bubble. We don't, we're not trying to get yesers whooping and hollering and going, yeah, Boris Johnson's an idiot and all that sort of stuff. Not doing any of that sort of thing. We're just basically laying out the facts, debunking the, the unionist claims, and writing it in a way that appeals to undecided voters, giving them the facts, and also giving them facts that they can go away and look up and verify and not political claims, but they can prove. And so we're taking people on a journey from undecided to yes, maybe even some from no to yes, uh, with these articles. And when we've got that 24 articles uh, finished, and people signed up to the yes challenge. So 5,554 people signed up to give codes uh, to unlock the national's content and unlock the yes challenge, or what we're now calling the Open Minds uh, program. And so basically, they gave the codes to their undecided friends. Their undecided friends then uh, log in, uh, can get any national articles they want, which gives them the national's view rather than, say, the, the Daily Mail's view or the Express's view. Uh, and then they get emailed to them our content every twice a week. And when we've finished, uh, we'll also have Zoom meetings with them, uh, get some speakers in, etc. just for the undecideds. They can ask any questions, no holds barred, no censorship, just ask anything, we'll answer them. Uh, and then uh, at the end of it, we'll have 24 articles which we'll put in a newspaper pullout, like a, 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 um, uh, in the centre of the newspaper, and then we'll publish that. That then, uh, later on during the campaign, updated with some Scotland brief economic stuff, more economic stuff added in, will become a 16-page leaflet that all the S groups can drop through every door in Scotland. Oh, so, there's an enormous amount of momentum and positivity there and I must say it's an absolute tonic hearing about it because as you know yourself there's a lot of negativity around the independence movement at the moment and to talk to you today Gordon is like a breath of fresh air it really is <laughs> With all I always feel the same when I talk to you guys <laughs> <laughs> Is that um, the Yes Challenge is that, uh, is that an ongoing um, thing? I mean can people carry on 
signing up for it or was there a closing date or anything? Uh, yeah, people can keep signing up and then we'll send them the historical content, etc. Uh, and also, yeah. you know, that, that 5,554 people, uh, we've got, uh, the National is going to send them an email at the end going, do you want to subscribe, obviously, uh, but so are we. So uh, we've got the, the 5,500 people who joined the Yes Challenge. We'll ask them to, to, to join us, to join Believe in Scotland or Facebook group or or. Uh, become a, 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 a donor, uh, but also all of the people they recommended. We'll ask them if you're switching to independence. Do you want to join our Facebook group? Do you want to sign up and join our campaign as well? So we're hoping at the end of this to probably have another seven or eight thousand new members. Yes, uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that will drive us significantly. And I, I don't know if you know, we, we, you, on the Facebook group we've got. Uh, our Facebook group got something like six hundred and fifty, seven hundred new members over the weekend. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just absolutely booming. And people like to come to our group. And it goes back to what Valerie was saying. We don't do internal politics. We don't do arguing. We don't do Alex Nicola stuff. We don't do any of that in our discussion group. You know, we leave that to other people. All we do is we focus on how to build a better Scotland. What sort of Scotland do we want to live in? And how do we get there? How do we campaign? What are the issues that people need to be educated on? So those are the things that we focus on in that group. And it is, it's like an oasis away from the turmoil. But what we've tried to do with our billboard campaign, uh, with our Yes Challenge, what we're trying to do is actually to give people a really positive campaign to unite behind and actually focus on, you know, eyes on the prize, focus on independence, focus on getting independence. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, people believe that Nicola Sturgeon might not believe in independence. You know, I'm, I'm not a friend of Nicola Sturgeon's. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're friends. We got on very well when we meet, but I have now known her for 25 years. And let me tell you now, if you cut that woman in two, she'd have independence written yeah. through her like a stick of rock. Yeah, exactly. um, you might not agree with her timing. Uh, you might think she's a bit timid, etc. But she's going at the pace of the undecided, not the pace of the yes movement. Yes, yeah. And that's what a strategist does. And whether you think she's right or not, at the end of the day, she, when she gets a majority in May, she has no choice. The SNP won't exist if she doesn't deliver an independence referendum. It won't exist. So even if you think she's just out for herself and not, not into independence, the only way she can stay out for herself is to deliver independence. So as far as I'm concerned, we know the timetable. There's going to be a majority in May. There's going to be a call for a referendum. We're going to dare them to stop us in the courts. There might be a short court battle. And if there is a short court battle, it won't be 2021. It will be probably May 2022. And then we're going to win our independence. That's the timeline that, that Believe in Scotland is working to. Yeah. Yeah. And if you go back three years ago to my articles on Plan A, Plan B, and all that sort of stuff, You'll find out that's what I said back then in the national columns, etc. I ain't changed my view, and I haven't listened to anybody who's going on about the negativity. I understand the infighting is upsetting people. I'm not a member. It doesn't affect me as far as I'm concerned. And if it is affecting the yes vote, then it's my job to go out and put other messages out there that, that actually compensate yeah. for that, yeah. not to get involved. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, talking about the, the Holyrood election coming up, Gordon, of course, and we've had this great long run of polls that, you know, still keep showing a majority for independence, which is fantastic. 
we haven't quite reached what you thought would happen by the end of January. I think you uh, last year were thinking by the end of January, maybe we could be up at 60%. Am I remembering correctly? Yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, okay. What, so we haven't got that far, although, you know, got, you know, not in any way oh, kind yeah. of disappointed with where we are, but, you know, what, are you a bit disappointed in that? Yes, I am. Uh, allow me to be a politician for a second here and tell you that we did get to 58%, and that's within the 3% margin of 60. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, so I expected at least one poll to hit 60% at the end of January. What I didn't expect was the Yes movement to implode yeah. before that happened. What I didn't expect was the, the poison that we've got. What's happening, if you look at the polls, is that... The SNP are still just as popular as ever. Nicola Sturgeon is just as popular as ever. With the general population, the SNP is still tracking 54-55%, which if you take the average of polls, is 54-55% is where the yes vote is. But the yes vote has dropped down a little bit in the last few polls. And that's because people are looking at Nicola Sturgeon and thinking, well, when it comes to Hollywood, we have to decide who we trust to run Scotland. And right now, they trust Nicola with their lives, literally. Literally, right? yes. And so basically, they're going, so we're going to vote for the SNP and Nicola Sturgeon. Great. Now let's look at this other question about whether I support independence or not. And the independence movement, including Nicola and Alex, including a lot of other people within all, a lot of prominent Yes bloggers who maybe aren't known outside the Yes movement, but they're getting written about in the mainstream papers now. Robin McAlpine writing articles calling on her to, to resign and all that sort of stuff. So that gets into the mainstream press. So they can see that the SNP is united as government and is doing a job as government, but they think the Yes movement is disunited, and therefore they're losing faith in us. And that has, in my view, mm. not damaged, it hasn't damaged as possibly too much of a, a... I don't think independent support has fallen that much. I think what's happened is that the soft yeses, the undecideds, traditionally there's about 6 or 7% undecideds. In the last polls, there's been more than that. The last one was 10%, I think. I can't remember the other in front of me now, but the last Comrades poll was 10% undecided. So what's happened is that our vote increased because undecideds became soft yeses. The campaign started arguing amongst itself. It lost its appeal, and it's, it's not focused on a positive vision, which is what we're trying to get people focused on. And so they didn't go against us. They didn't just go back to no. They went back to undecided. Right. If I can yeah. get them back again, frankly, I think we will with a positive campaign. So, yes, I think if all of this hadn't happened, we would easily be at 60, 62% right now. I will annoy a lot of people. I've stayed out of it, and I haven't criticised anyone. And I'll annoy a lot of people with what I'm about to say. But believe in Scotland and business for Scotland is campaigning. Everybody else, pull your finger out, campaign. You can complain amongst yourselves, and you can yell at the SNP as much as you want. But to the undecided voters, present some sort of disciplined uniform front. Get positive messages out there, even if you're going to keep on complaining. Fine, complain, but also campaign. We've talked about all the things that Believe in Scotland has done. What other actual campaigning, reaching out online, offline, anyway, are other groups doing right now within the Yes movement? Yeah, well, certainly nothing, obviously nothing like the extent to which you and your team have got this uh, up and running. And I must say, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm certainly heartened by how you've just described the current situation, Gordon, because if it's true that, you know, people's 
people's confidence it, from the point of view of the election is still we want we're going to vote SNP alongside that a bit of uh, not so sure about what's going on in the uh, independence supporters <clears throat> side in a way that's really unfortunate and it is also unfortunate when it comes through polling because the unionist side grab onto that immediately and then you know uh, expand it out of all proportion but going back to my main trade the thought which i think was um if if the if the vote for the SNP in the Holyrood is holding up, then that's the main thing. And after that, yes, then any kind of you know infighting or grumbling that goes on needs to get sorted when you actually start campaigning. But the way you put it, it, it does kind of make it a bit more likely or a bit more optimistic that um, whatever's going on just now the main thing is to get that majority in Holyrood, and uh, if we're on track to do it, that's fantastic. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I, I, I'm not overall worried, overly worried about the situation. I do think that once we have the Holyrood majority, uh, yes, majority, and we have a referendum called for and a date named, I think a lot of the arguments will, you know, just pitter away. I, you know, I, I don't think there's still going to be, and I'm not picking sides at all in any of these fights at all. And But what I'm saying is that for other yes groups out there, um, look at what we're doing and beat us. Do better yeah. than us. Yeah. Because, yeah. because look as if we're not doing enough. And then the yes movement will be really firing on all cylinders. So if someone comes up, you know, we're not, we're not looking to boast about what we're doing. We'd love it if someone was better than us. We'd love to sit and put our feet up and go, wow, that campaign they're doing is better than anything we've done. How do we raise our game? Yeah, right? uh, yeah. and, and I think a lot of them, you know, there is a lot of impatience, isn't there? There's a lot of impatience about can we not go ahead and then all sorts of you know, suggestions about how we might avoid a Section 30. Um, but I think what, you know, once if the Holyrood election goes well and we end up with that majority, then as you said, the SNP and, and the Scottish Greens supporting them, anyone else that, who's there supporting independent have got to make it work. Otherwise, there won't be a party any longer. And, and at that point, the, the people who are mostly just impatient won't have any reason to be impatient, but they will have a reason to get going and start campaigning. Yeah. But the thing about you, know, you talked about the Section 30 there, um, but the, the thing is that the Yes movement universally thinks we don't need a Section 30, therefore what the hell is this all about? And But the undecided voters, those people who just abandoned us to become undecided again, they want us to get a Section 30. That's the route they want. And it's only when Boris says no to that that they'll get angry at Boris's anti-democratic stance and come back to us without a Section 30. But right now, we need to promise them a section there because that's the route they want. So we are taking the route to independence that the undecided and soft nose want us to take. Because if we take the route to independence that the hardcore yeses want us to take, we lose the referendum. It's as simple as that. They won't come to our side. That, that's the key issue really there, isn't it? That, you know, we're not trying to convince the, the, the already decided we have to go for the people that we soft knows and the people that are undecided. And if you look at the, when we put a message out there on Facebook that's a key message, 
that our polling's told us undecided voters need to hear. And we write it up, we do research, we prove it, we debunk the argument against and we put it out there and we get like a thousand people sharing it and a thousand people and two or three thousand people reading it and we think, oh, that's quite good. And then someone writes a blog calling on Nicola to resign and 25,000 people read it and share it. And it's like, we're, the Yes movement is sharing stuff. There's only a certain amount of bandwidth and yeah, they're not yeah. sharing the stuff the undecided need to see and that's what's creating this yes bubble. And the things that we talk about within the yes bubble, when I poll on them, when I do panel-based polls and ask questions that seem to be like the, the everything to the yes movement, people don't care. You know, the general public don't care about these issues and yet we're tearing ourselves apart about them. And so that's why I, you know, I argue with people privately, quietly. I fall out with people. I quit the SNP before it was trendy to quit the SNP several, several years ago. And some of the people who are uh, criticizing me now for being a, an SNP loyalist wrote blogs criticizing me for <laughs> criticizing the SNP back then. So, you know, there just seems to be no winning this. Uh, you know, so I think the thing we can win is independence. The thing we can do is convert undecided with a real positive message, with a factual message that's honed in on what they need to hear. We need to get around the mainstream media bias and we need to get messages to older folks and we need to get messages to groups of people that could come over to our side, like the not-so-right-wing conservatives and the not-so-right-wing liberals, but they don't want a revolution. They want a managed, fair transition to a better country. And if we just show them how we're going to do that, and that does include changing the economic argument from the Sustainable Growth Commission to one based on a well-being approach. And if you do that, swathes of, <laughs> swathes of yep. conservatives and Lib Dems will come over yep. to us. But they won't yeah. come over to with a, a austerity light, they'll come over to us with a better vision, a, a, a north star of economics. Yes, and Val was just signaling to me just now because I was just saying, I'd, I'd said to her earlier, <laughs> I, I forgot time, I'll see if we can get Gordon to talk about the polling that I know you've done showing such high cross-party support for uh, the values of a well-being economy, and that just seems to me that could just could be a kernel of well, certainly of um, believe in Scotland's and the Yes movement's campaigning, because it's completely. I mean, it's striking. I mean, I've seen it. Some of the presentations you've done on that, and it's high numbers of, I mean, reasonably high numbers even in the Conservative Party, but high numbers all over supporting those values. So. Presumably, you present that information to people in ScotGov. I mean, do do they listen to you? Are they picking it up on it? Yeah, uh, that's still to be uh, decided. You know, the proof is in the pudding. But yeah, we so we we did this piece of research where we basically outlined all the well-being approaches around the world, uh, and instead of tick box exercises that are done in New Zealand and Iceland, etc., we actually took them all and tried to create a manifesto based on all of these ideas. Uh, and when you've, when you've actually got that manifesto, we then went out and said, well, these are the values of a well-being approach and these are the values of a standard economic approach. And we polled a thousand people in Scotland and a thousand people in England. We haven't released the England one yet. And we asked them, you know, what they preferred. Do they want this neo-capitalist uh, approach that Westminster is pursuing? Mm -hmm. and, or do they want the 
uh, well-being approach, building back better, protecting the environment, protecting people, putting uh, values such as health and happiness and well-being uh, and innovation and environmental protection on the same footing as economic growth in terms of how we measure the effectiveness of our economy. Uh, because you can't have a strong economy without a strong society and you cannot have a strong society yeah, without exactly. a strong economy. Yeah, they are yeah, completely yeah. Um, and, and so basically we asked this question and two groups of people came out very uh, supportive. Um, the first group of people was that the well-being approach to economics appeals mostly to older folks, retired folks. And the older they are, the more they like the well-being approach. So there's an economic approach that actually appeals and is favoured most by the group that votes no the most. Yeah. Okay, so there, there's an interesting factor. And following from that, someone might decide to put some adverts up about the pension, but anyway, you know, so everything's delivered by polling drives our, our campaigning. Uh, and the other group that really surprised us, so the core question was, you can't have a strong society without a strong uh, economy, you can't have a strong economy without a strong society, do you agree with this? And the Conservatives came out top. The people who voted the Conservative and... Mm. 2019 general election came out top for that and there was a majority for every single uh, economic measure that we we pulled on within the Conservative Party smaller majority than in the SNP and yeah. Labour yeah. but there was a majority support for everything so basically 75% of the Scottish population have said in polls multiple polls over the years it's always 75-77 that if you convince them of the economic arguments for independence, they will vote for independence. 75% is the maximum we can get to, right? And this well-being approach convinces that many people that independence will work. So the SNP has to go for it, as far as I'm concerned. We've told them that. We've had multiple Zoom meetings, hour-long Zoom meetings with cabinet secretaries. We've given them the report. I believe there is movement. Uh, and I hope there is because I don't think it really works going into the next independence campaign with business for Scotland not agreeing with the SNP on economic policy. That would be a bit of a problem, I think. And we will campaign on a wellbeing approach. We'll have you back to talk about that. Um, thank you so much for uh, chatting to us this morning. Really good Pleasure. to hear all about that. expect I'll be emailing you again in a few weeks for a follow-up. Congratulations on all the... I mean, the, the, the amount of stuff that you've managed to do, this is only the middle of February. The amount that you've yeah. managed to do since Christmas is uh, quite phenomenal, really, and we look forward to even more ahead and seeing the billboards. I, I haven't been out much recently. <laughs> I'm pulled up in a wee tenement here, but um, I think I'll take a wee drive down to the... Uh expressway and check out your billboard as long as it's an essential journey to the supermarket you can yes, go via yes. yeah that's why we're asking people to take photographs of them so that everybody can see them but yeah there's uh there's less people will see them but they also cost less so it works out well for us you know yeah. uh, and also i'm very lucky because um although i'm the sort of person that people know when they talk about business for scotland and believe in scotland i mean the business for scotland uh team the people who do this for a living is, is six people yeah uh the yeah. And, and you know, and nobody, nobody ever hears of our research consultants and all that sort of stuff. And we've got about nineteen volunteers and ten directors. So yeah, it's it, fantastic. So we've got a big team. That's what makes us different. Yeah, and it, well, tell the others in the team and the the people who are employed and the volunteers. Tell them we really, really appreciate what the what they're doing just now. 
thanks very much. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Gordon. Been a pleasure. Speak to enjoy, enjoy your run. And that was Gordon McIntyre Kemp, the CEO and founder of Believe in Scotland. Welcome to the IndieLive.radio daytime show. You're here with Valerie Gold and Marlene. And we're delighted to have Lorna Slater, who is the co-leader of the Scottish Green Party. Uh, Lorna is also a prospective Holyrood candidate for the upcoming elections, the Parliament elections in May. She's standing in the constituency ballot in Edinburgh, Northern and Leith. And she's also number two on the regional list for the Scottish Green Party. Hello, Lorna. Hello. Um, we're absolutely delighted to have Lorna with us today. We have talked to other parties and we'll be looking at, we'll be representing um, the views of um, the SNP, for example. But we're, we really want to hear from you, Lorna, why vote green is the, the main question, first of all. And I'm sure there's lots of people listening who are already voting green and who are supporters of your party. Eh, but for those who are not yet convinced, Abe, how, what would you like to say to them? I think there's two main reasons to vote Green. And one, uh, the first one is that we've got a track record of getting things done. So we've been a constructive opposition in Holyrood. We don't just sit on our hands and wish things were different. We have actually negotiated and achieved quite a lot. We have a list of what we call in green impacts, but things that the uh, green team of NSPs have accomplished in Parliament, things like stopping evictions during the pandemic, mm. things like protection mountain hares. We are, we're in an ec ecology emergency as well as a climate emergency, so protecting species who are at risk of extinction is a really important thing to do. We got in place the ban on assaulting children, so this was more commonly called the smacking ban, but it means that children now have the same protection from assault as adults do. We've um, managed to pass an amendment on the social um, services bill, which means that and the, uh, the benefits assessments are no longer met. We don't have to reassess people for their benefits when we know already know the information about you. People can have more say about how their assessments are done. Assessments now have to be recorded because the assessments were sort of humiliating and unnecessary. And nobody deserves that kind of dehumanizing treatment. And nobody should be in poverty because they're disabled. Everybody needs the right amount of money to live on. So that was a big win for us. So there have been all sorts of things that we've achieved. The ban on fracking, so that's a, a sort of novel way of extracting oil and gas often from underneath cities and, and urban areas, which is really dangerous. It can poison water, it can um, damage environments, kill, you know, it's very, it produces a lot of toxins. And, you know, in England, for example, the government allowed them to do it under people's villages. And so we've stopped that from happening in Scotland. So the Greens have a really strong track record of achievement. Electing Greens to Parliament matters. We can absolutely get things done. And the second part of that is that we have a very clear vision for what we want Scotland to be. We are absolutely a pro-independence party, but we are not independence at all costs. We're not independence just for the sake of being independent. We want independence for a reason, and that's to make Scotland better and different. So we, we think that there's no point in being independent if we're going to keep everything exactly the same. 
We want to make things different and better. And that means fairer. That means things like making sure that everybody in Scotland who works is getting paid a living wage. That means making sure that our tax system means that those who have more are contributing more. That's fair. So that all of these things would make the country a fairer place. But the other part of that is that we have to tackle the climate emergency. And we can do that in ways that make people's lives better. If we invest in our rail system, for example, not only will that create loads of jobs, it will reduce our national carbon footprint and energy usage, and it will make it easier for people to get around and cheaper. So these sorts of things are the vision we have for Scotland. They require a, a change in how we think about politics. So the major politics in the UK, the Conservative Party, the Labour Party and the SNP have a very we would use the word neoliberal, but not everybody knows what that means, but a very sort of, let's say, traditional economic view where they want a sort of competition market-based system. But we think that that system has failed and that public investment, more public investment, is a better way to run the country because it means that things are accountable. If things aren't working well, you can vote in someone who does it better. If Serco or one of these big companies isn't doing something right, you have no recourse. You don't have any choice in who's providing that service. You can't vote them out. You can't hold them accountable. You can't even look in their books to see how they're spending your money. You can hold your local authority accountable. You can see your local authority's budget every year. You have a say in that in how you vote. So we think it's really important to rejoin that connection between public accountability and services that are provided to the public so that we can all benefit. And that's, I think, a, a uniquely green vision. And it's tied in with making our country sustainable through toward, as we, as we sort of head toward more critical climate deadlines. Because if we don't do anything, not only are we going to be hit with rising seawaters and sort of terrible climate disasters, but if we keep our industry based on things like fossil fuels, aviation, road building, those, those jobs are at risk. Those people will lose their jobs as those industries decline because they must decline. So we have to, we can't let that happen to people. We can't let communities collapse like that. We can't trust corporations to look after their people as their you know, business models collapse. And that's something where governments can step in and say, look, we have a plan. We're gonna talk to communities. We're gonna find out how they see themselves in the future. We're gonna find out how we're going to use the assets and advantages that each community has to build a long-term future so that we have jobs and businesses and industries that will carry us all the way into the future. Mm. That's that's so that's so eloquently put, actually, Lorna. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I would quite go along with uh, uh, most of those policies being uniquely Green Party, because I think there is a quite a lot of overlap between those and, well, well, the SNP, at least if, since we're talking about Scotland. But I'll tell you what I think you, the Greens do do in Hollywood, and it's that you you just push and you nudge, well, the odd, you nudge the SNP just to go a bit further and be a bit more radical. And I mean, I've noticed that for, for years, and I think that's, that's the kind of way for, that Hollywood works well. And, you know, it's especially when SNP are a minority, so they do depend on, you know, you for support. But I've seen you nudge them, or I mean, probably more than nudgement, because that, um, uh, the Grousemoor um, uh, legislation and all about, you know, the the, hair, the mountain hares and everything. So it's a valuable contribution to running a country. 
And I mean, it's going to carry on after we are independent. I mean, after that, probably we won't have a majority um, government so often. Um, well, not that we've had it that often anyway, but um, so, you know, it's just good to kind of see people working together and sometimes sometimes kind of stepping back a bit and other times just really being in, insistent. Yeah, great. Yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing as Marlene there, Lorna, and it's I, I noticed something you said about, you know, the, 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 the impact that green MSPs have had. And, and I mean, there are only the five, I think, at the moment, a good chance of increasing that in the future. Um, but they've, they've had a lot of impact and influence, you know, for a small group, partly yeah. maybe because they are almost like they've got that wee balance of power thing where they are the only other pro-indie party. So therefore, you know, they're able to, as Marlene says, nudge the SNP further along that slightly more progressive um, attitude in terms of things like land and, and nature. Could I ask you, in terms of the the list and the constituency, um, we we'll be having folk on talking about this both votes SNP. Uh, one of the things you mentioned yourself earlier, I'm not sure if it was on air or before we started, is about the small parties that have grown up. You know, like the ISP and AFI and various other small parties, but the Greens are. I would say, and maybe people would shoot me down in flames for saying this, about the real credible um, party maybe to realistically vote for on the list. And I just wondered if you'd like to say something about, you know, for like you gave us a really great um, summary of why people should vote for Green, you know, maybe as their first vote. But let's say you were saying to somebody who's not going to vote for the Green Party on their first vote, but you would like to, them to vote on the list for the Greens, what message would you send to somebody like that? So every political party, political parties exist for the purpose of getting their own representatives elected. Let's not make any bones about that. So the SNP will tell you what the message is to get what they feel will get the most of their representative elective. I will tell you what's going to, I think is going to get the most of my uh, representatives elected. Uh, we don't have a system in this country whereby parties make pre-election pacts with each other. That's not a thing. There's no such pact. We are, the Greens are, make no mistake, an opposition party. We sit in opposition to the government. We stand as our own party with all other parties, right? So we, we are not attached to any one party. We are our own party. And we've spoken about this uh, just as an answer to the first question. A minority government is actually quite a powerful thing. So we're used to thinking, because we're used to first past the post in Westminster and so on, we're used to this rather shouty politics where the blue team and the red team trade sides and shout at each other across the aisle for five years and spend five years undoing what the last party did. And in Holyrood, when you have a minority government, it's different than that because the government always has to find an ally. And now some of the time, the government, to our disappointment, the SNP will ally with the Tories and they do it on issues that we really disagree with, things like giving developers the right to appeal but not communities, standing up for landlords instead of tenants, that kind of thing, things that are right-wing politics. So when the SNP vote 
in a right-wing way, it tends to be with the Tories, and that's who they've decided to ally with on that particular issue. When the SNP have decided to be lefty, they've accepted our nudge, as you were saying, our negotiated position, which is tends to be more left, would, would absolutely be more left-wing. So wherever the SNP have been progressive, it is because we've pushed them there. It's interesting that, I mean, uh, in terms of progressive policies, the Greens and Labour have a lot of overlap, but the Labour Party has chosen not to enter what we would consider a constructive way of working and just instead go, well, it would be different if Labour were in charge, instead of going, well, Labour aren't in charge, let's at least try to get something done. So we find that attitude frustrating. We would rather be a constructive partner in running the country. Even if we don't win every vote, we, we win some of them. And, you know, every one we win, we think makes the country better. So a good reason to vote green on the list is to get more greens in and to help create that balance of power in Holyrood. My worry is that any government that has a majority doesn't have to go through that negotiation and consensus building and trying to find allies, trying to find common ground. They can just ram stuff through that maybe isn't very well thought through, that certainly isn't um, doesn't have all the consequences, that doesn't necessarily have a majority of, of support from other people in the parliament. And I just don't think that's quite as good a way of doing it. So if you, like me, think that consensus and negotiation are a way forward and you think having more Greens would help pull the parliament in the direction you want to see, then yes, give, give, us, your, give us your vote, absolutely. We will be standing in constituencies. For us, the barrier is about money. It costs money to stand in constituencies. I mean, it costs money to stand everywhere, but it, you lose your, your um, deposit. So this is one of the ways in which small parties are disadvantaged in our system, that if, if we stand in every constituency, we will lose our deposit in many of them. But for example, a big party like the SNP will, will keep their deposit. So at the end of the election, they have loads of money and we're drained of money. And we can't, we can't do that. We would simply bankrupt ourselves. So we, will st we are a growing party. We've been really successful. We, we're going to take the next step and st stand in a few more constituencies as we can afford to. So that, that will be the case. I listen to that. I mean, I completely understand the thing about the finance aspect of it. But there is also um, the voting system aspect of it as well. I mean, it, there isn't really any constituency that the Greens have got a chance of winning, is there? Not on first past the post. We've got a couple, probably three, where we could stand a chance in winning, where we're doing, where we do very well, where you have a three-way split. So yeah, in okay. uh, Kelvin and Kelvin and Glasgow. Um, Edinburgh Central and Edinburgh Northern and Leith yeah. are the three where we actually have a fair chance because you have a three-way split in the vote and those are very green areas. Yeah. So we will be pushing to win one of those and it's it's absolutely possible that we could win one of those. Right, yeah. that's that's um, good. That's good. I'd, I'd forgotten about what happens when you've got the three-way split. Yeah, so one of that's one of those is where you're standing then, isn't it? The Edinburgh one. That's correct. <laughs> um, well, and, I, and it should be a good race. Uh, I mean, I know I, it's a... I've stood for election here before. I, I know the other candidates. It should be a good race because everyone's coming to it bringing something slightly different. And but you know everyone's yeah. got a good heart and a good intention. And um, yeah, so just which of us can kind of deliver the message? Yeah, yeah. Could, and could I play devil's advocate here, um, Lorna, and Please. just say, a, I mean, I know that some SNP people, because I've heard them say it feel that there are certain constituencies where the Greens maybe have caused the SNP to lose a seat, 
where, I mean, fair enough, as you said, political parties are there to get their folk elected, but maybe by standing in a constituency where they haven't got a realistic chance, they've taken votes away, and the one I'm thinking of, which I know you'll probably be fed up hearing about, is in Edinburgh where Ruth Davidson was elected, uh, the Tories won the constituency there, and I think the difference was very small, and it if, had the Greens not stood, the majority of those people probably would have voted SNP, in which case Ruth Davidson would not have been elected. I don't know if you've got any comments. The maths on that is never very simple under AMS because the constituency, how many constituency seats you win is used to calculate then how many list seats you're going to get. Yeah. And because the Tories won that one, it meant that elsewhere yeah. they didn't get one, and it actually meant that we got two Greens in in Lothian, was the well, kind of ultimate good. result of that. So yeah. that particular bit of math worked in our favour, but that you can't predict that. That similar math worked against us in other parts of the country. So you, you, can't, you can't game the system. There's no point in trying to gain this game the system. You can't win because you, you win here, you lose there. The consequences of the sort of algorithms that determine yeah. that, they're not going to help you. You have to stand for what you believe in. And we are a growing party. We believe that people want the option to vote green. We believe we have the right policies for Scotland and we will always stand up for what we believe in. Yeah. So we stand in as many constituencies as we can afford to and we will stand on, on the list everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't it... think we need to worry. We are expecting a stonking wipeout in the majority in this parliament. You know, it'll be some mix of SNP and Greens. We can be confident of that. Um, so like I, at this point, I don't think we should be fighting that fight. Let's go for our indie majority uh, and let's make that happen. This sort of infighting between is, I think it's not good use of our time. I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I was playing devil's advocate there. So could I ask, because um, you, so you mentioned it's not possible to game the system. So there's quite a few people who, you know, have now set up these smaller parties only sitting uh, in the list who, you know, their argument is that it's very possible to game the system. I, I've, I've listened to people, you know, talk about how the system works. I mean, I think it's not helped by being complicated um, to, do, to do it. I mean, at one point I, I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll make a spreadsheet and I'll just try working it out. And I, I, I gave up, actually, and I'm quite good with spreadsheets. So, But there are people out there that claim actually it is possible. I mean, are you expecting any of those smaller independence parties to get into Holyrood? Absolutely not. We've seen we've been here before with Rise and Tusk. Last time it was Rise that we're going to win all those seats. And I think people underestimate how hard it is to build a political party from the ground up. The Scottish Greens have been in existence for 30 years. You know, we have thousands of members. Uh, many thousands of members all over the country who are experienced in campaigning, who understand how elections work. People are used to hearing from us. We are now a major political party. I, it will be myself or Patrick who will be appearing in the televised debates. We have worked and built that party over 30 years. The idea that you can throw together a successful political party six months before an election is a joke and shouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah. Lorna, can I move on and ask you about another thing that I would like to talk about, and that is, and you've touched on it a lot already, 
um, in your answer to the first question. But the the idea of the green vision for an independent Scotland, what would you say are the, if you could pick, say, two or three things that are the key planks or elements of your party's vision for a, an independent Scotland, what would you say they would be? So I'll pick two. Um, one of them, as I previously mentioned, is a sort of massive amount of public investment. So we know that with the COVID crisis, followed on by you know the potential for a terrible economic recession as a result of that, and then the climate crisis coming after, we know that it's going to be necessary for governments everywhere in the world to put a massive, vast amounts of investment in that to given. Even the Tories have find the money down the back of the sofa when they need it. It's just that they tend to give it to people who build bombs and planes rather than people who need to feed their kids. And that's the big question. It's not about how much investment's needed, but where is it going to go? So after the 2008 banking crisis during that time, a lot of, there was quantitative easing, there was money pumping into the system, but where did it go? It went to Wall Street, it went to the bankers, it went to the corporations, and a lot of that disappeared offshore into tax havens yeah. and so on. So the difference between our in vision for investment and that of other parties isn't so much the amount it's where it's going to go. We want that money to go into things that are going to build our country, new railroads, sustainable, renewable energy systems. Let's, you know, build those wind turbines, tidal turbines. Let's build those hydrogen ferries. Let's make sure there are inexpensive buses running all over the country so people can get about the place. That's where we want to see them go because we think there's a big difference between spending and investing. Investing is something you get return on growth and something like cheap or better yet free public transportation all, all over the country would boost our economy enormously when people can get to study and to work easily, when people can look out for each other, look after their friends and family with a visit or a social call or to help out. That makes an enormous overall benefit in terms of people's health and well-being. And in terms of, you know, you can take a day out with your kids and spend money seeing all the wonderful things that Scotland has to offer. That kind of thing boosts the economy. So it's that long-term thinking where the money you put into the system today will benefit for generations to come. So that's part of it. And the second part, I would say, which is my favorite bit. Uh, so I'm an electromechanical engineer. My day job is that I help design and build tidal turbines uh, for a company called Orbital Marine Power that's based in Orkney. And so for me, the exciting thing is to look at a, an industrial strategy for Scotland. Scotland has 25% of all the renewable energy resources in Europe. That's, that's enormous. I mean, we have something like 5% of the population of Europe, maybe it's even smaller, a tiny percent, but we have a huge amount of renewable energy. And based on that and things like upgrading our railroads and upgrading our homes to be more energy efficient and warmer, we have the potential for... A, huge industrial growth in Scotland. And I, it's, this is not warm, fuzzy stuff. This is smelting steel. This is cutting and welding and painting and transporting around the country. This is building stuff to last. This is heavy duty industry. So one of the turbines that we build in my work, for example, is 73 meters long. That's the size of a ship. And is roughly, it's about 800 tons. So it's roughly the scale of a ship as well. With building that kind of thing, we can keep shipyards around the country busy. Ferguson Marine, Bifab, um, Texo in Dundee, where I am, we can keep quaysides busy, we can keep factories and warehouses busy. And that's what excites me, is that we have this enormous potential for a sort of green industrial revolution in Scotland, which we can absolutely do with the right vision and investment. And that is the green vision. We, what we don't want to do is allow corporations to come in 
take our renewable energy and outsource the jobs elsewhere so that the money disappears into tax havens, the jobs go to China or somewhere else where they don't pay proper wages and don't look after people's health and safety. And all the benefits that should come to the people of Scotland are not realized. We absolutely want to develop those resources. We believe in industry and manufacture and building, but we want the benefits of those things to stay here in Scotland. I'm quite excited listening to that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, my nephew is an engineer and he he actually works in the oil industry now at the present. But he did his master's in renewable energy and he said to me that the potential in Scotland for the likes of hydroelectric power is phenomenal, you know, and, and, and I, th I think that idea, the idea of it not being allowed to people to take that wealth and use it and, and take it away um, but do like what happened with the oil industry really um, and look at Norway look at how Norway handled that differently and now they've got billions in a in a national oil fund yeah. and that that should be a lesson to us really shouldn't it yeah, right yeah. cool that, that, I get quite excited. <laughs> I, mean, so, I mean, so do I. And actually, it's touched, that's, touched, uh, that's touched something in me, actually, when you were talking about that, Lorna. Uh, there is that side of it as well. It's like we're always exporting people. We're, we, we export people with really good quali qualifications. And, you know, if we manage to put into, into effect that vision that you've just outlined there, maybe some of those people can come back. I mean, happy to have people from wherever, but nice to have our own kids to come back as well. We're seeing some of that in Dundee with the turbine there, um, because as you say, exactly, as shipbuilding, we client, all of our talented fabricators and welders and all these you know, really highly skilled people disappeared. And actually they had to do a massive recruitment drive in Dundee to try and get people back to build all the stuff that needs building, which is exciting. Yeah. Can I ask you um, how we would, how would that transition to long-term sustainable energy be managed, do you think? Do you think that would be a difficult process? Would it be a lengthy process to transition to, to that kind of economy? So it depends on who you let do it. If you leave it up to the corporations themselves, they will drag their feet. They will be as slow as possible. They're not interested in looking after their workers' livelihoods. To them, workers are you know higher and fire. They're just numbers on a spreadsheet. That's why I think it absolutely has to be managed by the government because the government can do things like consultation with communities and say you know it's something they're doing in Australia with coal mining communities where they you get the community together and say look you guys know we can't run this coal mine forever so what would you like to do instead what kind of industry would you like do, do would you like tourism is it is there something else here that we can use solar farming is there some you know agriculture is there something else that you would like to do what would you like to see your kids doing what kind of community shall we build for them and i think if we manage this at a government level and manage it well that's what it would look like where we say to people like you you, you would rather work in renewables i know you would you're currently working in oil and gas let's find you a job in renewables let's transition you to that role and let's grow those renewable companies so more people can transition but it has to be intentional and it has to be managed by someone if the government takes a hands-off approach and lets the corporations do it it will go badly yep yeah just to move on i guess sort of looking at time here it's amazing how quickly it's it's gone um what about uh, as we come out of the the COVID pa pandemic and fingers crossed by another six, nine months, we'll be a little bit 
back more to normal. I mean, at the beginning of last year, um, Lorna, Brown and I did a whole series of interviews with people asking them, um, you know, we were just going into the COVID pandemic, so we were asking them how we thought that it would affect Scotland and um, how it would affect the economy. So coming out of that, uh, do you think, you know, do you think Scotland's going to be held back, given that we're still part of the UK, or do you think, you know, as we edge hopefully towards independence, some of that being independent can start helping us with the with the COVID recovery? Because obviously the economy has taken quite a beating. Absolutely. So it's like I said before, a massive amount of investments needed. And I absolutely think that being independent can help us with that because we, how can Scotland invest in itself if we don't have our own currency, if we don't have all the economic levers we need? We're depending on Boris Johnson having some sort of long-term vision and investing strategy. We know he doesn't. We know they're not capable of that. So we are absolutely trapped. And we've seen that during COVID, everything that was bad about the inequality in our society, the poor getting poorer and the rich getting richer and disabled people and vulnerable people having really difficult time has all gotten worse. And that won't get better on its own. It needs that kind of investment in the right place. It needs caring investment. It needs fair investment. It means we need a, things like a windfall tax on Amazon and Tesco and all these companies who've raked in billions. And, you know, good for them for raking in billions, but you know, let, we need to share that around a bit. We need to make sure that every kid has enough food to eat and a warm roof over their head. That's how we recover from COVID. So in a sense, what COVID has done is kind of turn the dial up on the urgency. It's sort of, it's almost like, and I've seen some jokes on the internet of this line, it's like, there's a climate emergency coming. Here's a virus, practice. Practice. You know, so yeah. this is our reaction to how we deal with the COVID emergency is good practice for what we're going to need to do to deal with the climate emergency. And I don't think that the UK government has done a very good job. I think they did a terrible job. Uh, many lives were lost. Many people are still suffering. You know, there's, there's a soup kitchen uh, near my flat where or you know lots and lots of people come every day just to get food it's this is not the scotland we want to have we want everyone to have enough of an income to live with dignity but i think we can only do that if we're independent but but it's got to be the right kind of independence this is why for example having our own currency is so vital we have to have every single economic lever we can we cannot depend on a fixed relationship with a sterling a pound sterling that would limit what we can do so um independence can help us if it's done right managed badly uh, we would be in the same situation or you know or potentially worse so let's take control of our destiny fully with our own currency a new constitution and there's some really exciting i don't want to get too constitutionally nerdy but there's some very exciting things that we can do with constitutional um uh, when we write a constitution for a new country so every country that has a written constitution and they nearly all do, it's normal, um, have within it sort of the rights that being a, a citizen of that country allows you. And it's things like the right to vote, the right to protest, the right to speak your own language, practice your religion, and so on. But there's no particular reason why we couldn't, and I think we should, write into that constitution the right to an adequate house, the right to food, the right to health care, the right to social care. Those things which I think really are human rights, we could write those into our constitution, and then we're building something totally new and different a country that has humanity 
at its heart and knows what we're here for and why we why we've chosen to be our own country and that i think is how we recover from covid that's that's really key isn't it that that constitution when we get independence that that is a constitution that will be there for the good of the people and their well-being and, and for social justice Lorna one you, this has been great talking to you today it's been fascinating so one last question while we've still got you and that is um, the COP26 in November due to be held in Glasgow and um, that will put Glasgow Scotland rather, sorry, not Glasgow, put Scotland on the world stage. But do you think it will have, do you think that will just be a fleeting thing or do you think that will have lasting benefits for our country? I think it could do. It's like so much else, whether it's handled well or not. The problem we have globally in the world is that although all the countries signed up to the Paris Climate Agreement two years ago, four years ago, whenever it was now, uh, gosh, it's Time is ticking along, I think it's four years ago. Not a single country has done what they said they would do. They haven't done it. So, I mean, it was a wonderful achievement and the woman who, who um, kind of got that agreement to happen is a wonderful woman called Christiana Figueres who yeah. ran the UN Committee on Climate Change who I traveled to the Antarctic with in 2019. <laughs> so I know her, she's a wonderful woman and it was an amazing achievement, but so disappointing that none of the countries since have have actually taken any action on this. So COP26 is kind of a make or break one because unless countries start taking immediate and quite significant action, we are going to start hitting some of those tipping points that will tip the planet past the point where we can't stop heating at two degrees. And we must emphasize how horrendous the consequences are of beating three degrees and four degrees, how our food crops will die, how our cities will be flooded. We have to take significant action now. And I, I don't know. There is the possibility that we can do this, that we can bring the countries together and get to significant action. But I have to say, I'm not hugely confident in this. Getting Joe Biden elected yeah. in America is an optimistic sign, but we're still stuck with Boris Johnson here. So, you know, unless we, unless we get Joe Biden's everywhere, unless we get people who really understand the climate crisis government everywhere, we're gonna struggle. Uh, but yes, it'll be interesting to see the Greens will be there. We'll be absolutely trying to get, um, you know, the support going for significant action. Well, um, that's something we'll keep our eyes on and we'll also be looking with interest at events over the next few months leading up to the elections in May, although campaigning obviously is going to be a very different kettle of fish from usual. I would just like to thank you very much, Lorna, for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing all your ideas. And, Certainly um, has. So thanks very much and good luck with your campaign. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. Been a pleasure. Thank you. I hope you'll come on again sometime. So today you've been listening to two interviews on the daytime show here on Indie Live Radio with Gordon McIndair Kemp, the founder of Believe in Scotland, and also with Lorna Slater, co-leader of the Scottish Greens. And if you've missed some of the show, a reminder that it's repeated tomorrow, Saturday the 20th of February between 7 and 9 p.m. And why don't you think about listening to some of the other great shows that will be on over the next few days. At six o'clock tonight, we've got The Locker Room. And that show is presented by Matthew Lingard and Michael McEwen, talking all things sport. At 7pm tonight, Music and Musings, 
with Steve B. A fantastic way to start the weekend with some wonderful uh, music from the 70s and 80s usually and also some pretty sharp um, comments on political events that have happened through the week in between the great music. Tomorrow, Saturday the 20th at 10am from 10 to 1, of course, the Saturday show with James Elliot and another chance to catch Steve's show at 1 o'clock, followed by the repeat edition of Dr Dave's show at 3. So some fantastic um, music for you on a Saturday. And if you would like to hear some of the other highlights, like the Jazz Hour on Sunday, um, why don't you check out our full schedule available on the website and you can find something there for everyone. So I hope you've enjoyed the show today and please tune in again next week.